Are you ready for a new type of real estate club? A club for new and seasoned real estate investors as well as real estate professionals of all types? A real estate club that you can participate in virtually or in person. A real estate club that offers in-person and virtual presentations, workshops, events, networking, resources, and more. Though this may sound like the real estate club of the future, it is not science fiction, it is reality. Directed Real Estate Professionals, also known as DREP, was started in the late 1990s in Southern California and is growing into cities across America. Whether you live in one of these cities or not, you can participate and take advantage of all DREP has to offer. If you live in a city that already has a DREP meeting, join them in person or online the first and third Tuesdays of every month. If you live in a city that doesn't have a DREP, consider hosting your local meeting. We'll show you how to set up your local club and walk you through getting started everything to get it rolling. You can also join any area meeting online from anywhere in the world. Getting started is easy. Just check us out online at www.drepclub.com. That's www.drepclub.com and we'll see you there. Hey, Bill, how's it going? It is going good, Kev. Hey, welcome everybody to the Investor Guys podcast. Got uh, Bill Barnett here, my main man, the Kevin dog, Kevin Mills. And uh, so, hey, um, you know, one of the things that you do that I think is really cool is um, you do what, what we call infills in, in the industry. So um, with the move from California to Florida, have you started doing some infills in Florida? I, I have. And just back in South Florida now, literally this week, um, Monday, we did the show from Central Florida, and today we're doing the show in, West, in Palm Beach. Um, Central Florida is, is booming like crazy. Actually, all of Florida is, like, like Texas is also. Uh, in Orlando, there were tons of infill spots, and everything from just literally – spot in an established neighborhood to spots along lakes and even we had a conversation even going up and down uh the coast there are big giant spots of beach that would work for commercial or residential or anything else that are just sitting vacant or sitting with for sale signs on them um, infill is when we purchase those properties and we build something on them and Different strategies, and you know this, but different strategies for different spots. So when we buy an infill lot in a neighborhood, we typically will build a house similar to what's already in the neighborhood, just a newer version of it. I actually like doing a new house that almost looks like the old houses in the neighborhood. And lots of times, neighborhoods will kind of have a theme to them. Uh, we see that a lot in Texas. We see like a lot of ranch style, but they'll have a theme. A lot of them will be, you know, brick with siding on the top or they'll be all brick or they'll be stone or they'll be whatever in, in, in Texas. And here we've got a lot of stucco and Spanish style. But I like buying an infill lot and then building a new house that has kind of the same flavor as the old houses, but it's updated. It's got uh, a family room where some of the old houses may not have a family room. It's got a nicer kitchen. It's got uh, better bathrooms, things like that. Uh, that's the type of thing we like to do in neighborhoods, residential neighborhoods. Uh, I'm buying a lot of lots in Central Florida and I'll also be doing the same thing in the West Palm Beach and South Florida area. 
uh, along lakes and even along the intercoastal, along the Manatee River and the Loxahatchee River and all the other intercoastal rivers that they have there. There's literally lots on. It, what's weird is there's a lot that's vacant and it'll have a boat dock on it. It's like there was, there's not a house there, but there's a boat dock. Uh, I will build custom homes on those because they will have more value uh, because people who are buying on the intercoastal are paying a million dollars or not. People who are buying on the beach are paying upwards of a million dollars depending upon the type of house they put on it. But one of the things that I talked to you about a month or so ago, actually probably about two months at this point, uh, I am partnering up with developers. One of the things I like to do is, is real estate development. I've done a couple of projects myself We did the whole housing development. I'm teaming up with some developers on commercial projects. So we're looking at empty spots in commercial areas on main streets and even on the beach. And some of them are even uh, have, have property that has already been developed, but it's run down and some bulldozed and stuff something else put onto it. Um, and I'm partnering up with other developers and I am boots on the ground. I am the brains of the project and they're the money. Um, and we're talking big, big money. I mean, we're talking percentages that are significant on multi-million dollar investments. So it, it's not something that you have to be a seasoned investor to do. If you have a good location, if you have eyes on a good spot and you're able to lock it up and you can find somebody who wants to partner with you, that is a way to make huge dollars. Yeah. You're chuckling, Gil. Tell me, tell me what you're chuckling about. Oh, you just, uh, that partnership thing, man, that just, you can take that so far when you get a developer that, and, and most developers are this way. They're, they're like, hey, if, if you've got access to the land, I'm your guy. And so when you've got a, got a, a developer that's going, hey, uh, I'm looking for more places to build. That's what I do. I'm looking for more places to build. Kev, you got property. Let's get together. That's a home run. And it's not that hard to find people who are doing that. What you can do is check around People who are doing projects in other areas will want to do projects where you are too, if they are near to you. So if I see a developer in Orlando doing a particular project, I'll write down their number and I'll keep it in mind if it's the type of project that I have coming up. And then when I've locked down a piece of property, I will call that developer, I will buy them lunch or I'll buy them you know, drinks or whatever, and we'll go by and we'll take a look at the property and I'll tell them my vision and then I'll shut up and listen to what their idea is. And then usually it's kind of a mix of the both because they want, they want to appeal to you also. A lot of times they'll have a better idea. A lot of times they'll love your idea better than what they may have been thinking. And something that I kind of glossed off or got to, to mention, on the residential infills, I have a whole book full of, of plans that are already set with the engineer, already done with an architect, everything else. And nice. all I have to do is find a plan that fits that particular neighborhood. So if it's mostly four bedrooms, three and a half baths, I find a four bedroom, three and a half bath. We change what's called the elevation, which is the outside of the property to match. I can build a house on any lot that has a stucco exterior and Spanish tile on the top. That exact same floor plan can have stone and brick for Texas. It can have siding for uh, Ohio. 
It can have a different elevation on the outside that's the exact same floor plan. So I've got a whole stack of these things that I've paid for a long time ago. Uh, an engineer has already done it. Uh, an architect has already signed off on it. So all I have to do is take it to the city planning commission or the county planning commission where I am, have them rubber stamp it and agree to it. And they have to have their engineer take a look at it. And then I can use those plans without having to buy new plans over and over and over again. I also have my contractor's license in California and I'm applying for my contractor's license here. So I have access to everything I need as far as construction equipment and just literally everything. And inside eyeballs, inside source. So when I team up with a developer, that's something else that I bring to the table. Bill, you're being quiet. So when you're, how do you find, uh, when, when you're looking at uh, a new developer to bring into your pool of talent, make them a team member with you. How's it the, your most successful uh, method for finding those? For finding them or for setting up the, the partnership? I'd say finding them first and then we'll get into. What I do is I pay attention. Set up. You are probably the same as me. When you're driving through town or any town, you notice a project going up. And a lot of times you're like, oh, hey, that looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Or, hey, that looks pretty involved. Or, hey, that looks like it's going to be. I always make it a point to write down the developer's name, and write down the developer's number. If the developer's number isn't there, it's easy enough to find a good Google search. Okay. And what I will do is based upon what I have, the type of vision I have for that particular property. And it won't be the first developer always that you talk to. Sometimes it will. Sometimes you'll talk to three or four or five different developers. And it could be different reasons why they won't want to do the project with you. It could just be that they're overextended and they can't. It could be that they're not interested in that particular area, even though you thought they, they'd work. Just because somebody isn't interested, if you know it's a good idea, keep on going. But I find them, like I said, literally by paying attention to projects that are around. I also have developers that I've worked with in the past. I also put out feelers all the time on different real estate pages and different real estate groups that I belong to. And I have a, a history of development myself. And when I was in California and I was an agent and a broker, uh, we did a lot of new construction and we worked with a lot of companies that were developers doing the new construction. We would actually, I would have my agents go in and they would rep that entire development for sale because in California, like many other states, they have to have a license in order to sell property from that, that particular development. Yeah. Whether it's, um, free property or not, or as we would refer to it free, but whether it's property that, um, is fifty thousand dollars or fifty million dollars covered that way? We got to have license to be write it up, and it's a good thing. Opportunities that could happen for anybody that's uh, listening to the standpoint of, and uh, when they are looking at how do I expand my business. And what's a, an area of the business I can get into that doesn't cost me a lot of money because what I'm buying is significantly um, less valued if it's undeveloped, if it doesn't have um, water and power, and even if it does, but it doesn't have a, a stick built or uh, it's for us to, to go after. 
and they're a hoot. Um, we'll tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to continue this, but some of the questions that we might want to ask prospective developers, we come back right after this break. Hang around for more Investor Guys podcast. We'll see you in just a second. In a minute. Bill Barnett and Kevin Mills host the Investor Guys podcast and share their real estate investing insights, strategies, and knowledge for audiences across America. Did you know that the Investor Guys, Bill and Kevin, have comprehensive investor education trainings and events available? Live and virtual workshops, training programs, events, and more. Bill and Kevin even have hands-on training events, consultations, and quick start programs, including the acclaimed real estate buyers events all designed to get investors started and in putting performing properties into their real estate portfolios. Bill and Kevin have each been successfully investing in real estate and educating real estate investors for decades and bring that experience to everything they do. Bill and Kevin both have unique approaches to investing and investor training and thousands of investors attribute their investing success to the trainings they have received from Bill and Kevin. If you are ready to get started as a real estate investor, the timing has never been better. Every day you wait to get started is a day forever lost. To check out how the Investor Guys are ready to get you started, visit InvestorGuys.com. That's www.InvestorGuys.com. DREPclub.com. That's DREPclub.com for the greatest real estate club on the planet. Workshops, presentations, trainings, education, resources, and more. The Directed Real Estate Professionals Club at DREPclub.com. Participate in person or virtually. www.DREPclub.com. And we're back. Yay. Welcome back. Thanks to uh, coming back for uh, Investor Guys podcast. And Bill Barnett with Kevin Mills. So, Kev, um, when you're prospecting a developer, what are some of the questions that gets that conversation started? Typically, I'll call them and I'll introduce myself. I'll let them know that I am a real estate investor and I've come across a couple of good lots that might be interesting to them. As a real estate developer, they are always looking for a project or at, at some point their next project. They could be all in on something else and they just can't do it. But at some point they're gonna to get to, I'm wrapping this project up, I need to move on to my next project. Because that's how they make their money, is by going sure. from one project to the next project. So I call them, I let them know, I've got, I've got a great location that I'd like you to see and see if we could figure something out. And the key is, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars that are going into this project. Don't be greedy. Don't say I have to have 60%. Okay. 20%, they're happy to do 20%. And 20% of a $20 million project is significant. And when all you're doing is, is checking in on it and everything else, it's, it's, it's huge. So don't be greedy. Um, schmooze them. You know, I, what I told you just before we went on, one of the things I'm doing is I'm looking at some local country clubs because we're, we're settling in here. I had a lot of memberships to country clubs in California and I will take the client and we'll go golfing, we'll hang out and we'll get, you know, something to, to eat at the clubhouse or we'll do something. But be serious, let them know that you know what you're doing. Have, if, you, if you're just starting out, you're not gonna have this, okay? And you're gonna have, it's gonna take a little bit more time. Once you have done a couple of these, put together a little portfolio of different projects that you have done. If you want to, if you want to get ahead on that, find somebody to partner up with that already has a project going 
and offer to be their gopher, okay? Go for copy, go for paperwork, go down to the uh, building office and get whatever plans you need to do. Offer to do that so that you can put that on your own little resume that you were part of that. You're gonna learn a lot from that also because you're gonna be down there picking up plans. They're gonna show you the red lines. When you pick up the plans, it doesn't matter who picks them up, okay? They unroll them with you and they show you whatever changes were made, or whatever changes are going to need to be made, whatever wasn't approved, okay? So you need to pay attention to that so that when you go back and you enroll those plans for whoever you're working with now, okay, you can show them. They can look at the red lines and they can figure it out themselves, but they would rather have you tell them what, what you heard. That is a way to go ahead and start padding your resume with knowledge so that when you are just starting out, you can say, you know what, this is going to be my first project and I'm excited about it, but this is what I've done in the past. This is why I think this is going to be a great project. Once you have a couple projects under your belt, have pictures, have numbers, have some stories. I have some great stories of some projects that I did and we'll tell them on a different day. I love telling it. Um, but go in there with literally a little portfolio, a resume of projects that you've done. And don't expect them to be oh, just, this is what I've done and I think this is gonna be something else that we can do you know, together and I think this is gonna be good because tell them not just your vision, why you think that it's a good idea to do it your way, but why did you get this property? Location, why is it a good location? What type of traffic do you have? What are the, what are the information that you, that you need from the city, okay? Uh, crime statistics, if you're doing a residential development, what are your, your schools? What are your uh, demographics for the area? What is the income for the area? All that information is going to make a big difference when you're doing a quick proposal when you're sitting down with somebody. Something else that you will also want to do, okay, is find out if that particular city requires entitlement. A lot of cities have what's called entitlement. Entitlement is when they want to figure out whether or not by putting your development project there, they're going to need to add another lane to a road. They're going to need to put up more stop signs, whether you've got enough parking spaces. Uh, if you're doing a residential development, whether the local schools are going to be able to handle that many extra kids, whether fire services and police services will be extra, you know, an extra load from all those things. So you want to look at entitlement. Do not do an entitlement study until you actually have everything ready to go as far as somebody on board. You're not going to be able to build until you have that entitlement. The city requires an entitlement. Yeah. But find out everything that you need to know so that you're you're having a package to present to that developer that is complete and comprehensive. And basically he sees that all he has to do is form an LLC or a corporation with you and you're already on the way. You've already laid the tracks. Now, one of the guys that I used to speak with all the time, uh, he's from Jackson, Mississippi and, and was showing me a, about a nine trait acre track of land that he purchased uh, on I-55. So if you're going uh, like you and I would be uh, running east and west on uh, 20 and go through Shreveport, like if I'm going to, to Florida and I end up going through Jackson and, and hit 55, well, he said, you know, let me, let me sh tell you, the next time you're going through, look at this particular exit. I go, okay, fine, I'll, I'll remember that. And he bought this track of land 
And how he found it was he went down to the courthouse. He said, I, I go about uh, two, three times a year. That's it. And I go into the city planner's office. And he said, I, I just look up on the walls because behind the counter, they have these giant maps. And I'm looking for, is there anything on the map that's different? Is there anything in red? And typically red means something that's not completed yet. And he said he looked up and he saw this heavy red dotted line. And he said, what's that? They said, that's a new exit that we're proposing. And he goes, well, I think I know that area. And, and the clerk said, yeah, this is where it is. And, and he's like, okay, thank you. Got out, drove out there and said, this is where it's going to be. And it was probably two years away, but he got the property. And what he did was he did not purchase the property. He put an option on the property. And he got a, a two-year option on it for 7,500 bucks at the asking price. Uh, it was not for sale. He found out that a, a company, a uh, excuse me, a family that lived out of town, they lived in Chicago. This is in Jackson. So he found that it was this particular family and reached out to them. And they said, uh, we're not interested in talking to you about that. Uh, but our attorney is right there. Uh, if anybody's going to handle it, it would go through him. So feel free to uh, give him a uh, call and see if that's something, uh, if it makes sense, he'll let us know. So he, they were able to negotiate through the attorney, get this property under contract for two years. In the meantime, construction starts on the ramp. When construction starts on the ramp, he takes some helicopter photos of what's going on and he looks around and says, gee, there's not a hotel within five miles of here. So he drives up and down 55 and, and says, okay, um, Crown Plaza's over here. Marriott's got something over here. And then he goes back. There's really only about four major hotel chains in the country to begin with. And he went back to each of them with just a prepared presentation, just had some photos, some platting, and the fact that, hey, here's where your competition is down the road, north and south or east and west, to be north and south in this case. And he sold um, three and a half acres of it uh, to a um, American Home Suites, which is an extended state hotel, but it's a, an extended state hotel that tracks wherever Marriott courtyards are because they're going after the same client. They're just a little bit, uh, they're one step down on the, the ladder of uh, opulence, if you will. So um, they bought a track and then he sold a track to uh, Texaco to build a uh, service station and a convenience store. And he said, I'm not selling anything else for a while. I'm, I'm gonna let this stuff get developed and get open, which is gonna make the rest of it more valuable. and but all because he was doing the same type thing. He reached out, went out to find out where development was going on, then reached out and he said, that's my retirement account. Like, yeah, nice. well, what Bill's talking about is packaging. Yeah, I've done that a few times. It's awesome when you have a property yeah. that you can do that when you've got enough space. Um, I did one, it was actually not that far from here. It was, it was south towards Lantana. And mm -hmm. the first thing we did was we, we developed the front part with just a little mini mall. It was 12 different shops and a 
what turned into later was a Wawa. It was, it was originally optioned as something else, but it turned into a Wawa, which here in South Florida, if you're not in South Florida, you probably don't know what a Wawa is. Wawa is a gas station that has food and soft serve and slushies and just yeah. everything. It's like QT has uh, made a, a big explosion in Texas like that. I don't know. QT may be all over the place now, but they uh, they've come into Texas in the last few years with that, that I mean, type of literally have tables out to eat in and everything. Um, but it's a gas station. And then we had a 12 unit strip mall where they were going to do like a hair salon and different types of things. We built that first before that was even finished. I optioned off the rest in the back to a company that wanted to build apartments and we did apartments in the back and your friend, he sold those lots. Okay. I partnered with each of those developers so that I could get a portion of the proceeds from that. So the Wawa gas station ended up being a sale. So I got a percentage of that sale. I sold that off altogether. The 12 unit strip mall, I still get money from. I still have that. The apartment building, we developed it and we sold it to a big company. It's a big real estate company that just owns apartment buildings and leases them out. And I got my 20% from that. And so we're having a, a challenge or two there. Are you back, brother? What's that? Are you, are you I was saying, are you back? You froze there for a second. Oh, so, did you catch what I said? Well, cool. Okay. Uh, after you developed, uh, you said you sold to Wawa. And, we sold to Wawa. Um, the the then, 12 unit uh, strip mall, I actually am still a partner in that. The apartments that we built behind that, we ended up selling to a large real estate company. It has real estate holdings all over the country. That's all they do. They just do apartment buildings. We sold that outright. I got 20% of the profit from that, which was significant because that was a huge sale as well. Um, so it's it's called packaging. There's different ways you can do it. You can sell out portions of it. You can partner on portions of it. Uh, Bill's friend still owns a portion of that property. He could partner with another development of some sort and have that long-term income or he could partner with that development and it's worth more once it's improved. So once it has a hotel on it, once it has a strip mall, once it has something on it, it's worth more than just an empty lot. You bet. Uh, right time for a break, right? Uh, it is. Yeah, I was going to say it, it's break time. Hang with us. Come right back for more Investor Guys podcast. Hang around for a second. Did you know that the Investor Guys podcast with Bill Barnett and Kevin Mills are not only available on your favorite audio podcast platform, they're also available in video form on Facebook, YouTube, and the Investor Guys podcast website at www.investorguyspodcast.com. Bill and Kevin show actual numbers, projects, and more, all things you'll miss if you don't check out the video. So after you listen to this podcast, visit us online and watch it again, www.investorguyspodcast.com or on your favorite social media. Are you dumb enough to be rich? Well, are you? Bill Barnett's critically acclaimed book, Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich, is a personal account of Bill's own journey to becoming a real estate investor. In his book, Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich, Bill shares his experiences, insight, and advice in a well-written, easy-to-follow account that gets investors thinking and acting. 
Find Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich on Amazon and other outlets or purchase your copy directly at www.investorguyspodcast.com. And we are back for the Investor Guys podcast. This is our last segment. And I kind of wanted to wrap up with really just telling you, be vigilant. Keep an eye on what is out there and don't be afraid to make some phone calls and ask what is going on. One of my favorite projects that I did, Absolutely. I, have, I have two favorite projects, okay? One of the favorite projects that I did is right here in Melbourne, Florida. Actually, not right here, but it's up about three hours in Melbourne, Florida. It was a development that somebody had already started. There were already roads, utilities had already been run, all of the lot, everything had been subdivided, okay? I'd driven by it a few times and I noticed it was overgrown. Nobody was doing it. There was no construction equipment. There was nothing going on there at all. I made phone calls and I scored on that particular property. They're originally going to develop it. It was about almost 10 years ago when I purchased the property that they were going to develop it. They, for whatever reason, didn't finish development. I didn't hear the story or anything else, but they paid to keep everything current. There was an attorney who was still assigned to the project who had paid to keep all the permits and everything current, which was a score for me. The only thing we had to do, we had to go back in and we had to repave the roads because the roads needed coating and everything else. We put new story coating on the roads and there were no houses built or anything else, but the utilities were running everything. We had to in Florida and in, in Melbourne, we had to buy water treatment. So when you do a certain number of houses, different, different cities, different states require different things. In that particular, we had to purchase water treatment. Instead of purchasing it from the city, we purchased it from a neighboring development company. It actually ran into the city water, but we bought credits from the neighboring development that actually had its own water treatment plant and was able to sell credits. So we bought credits from them, but we ran into the city water because it was closer because it was right right by the main drag that we could tap into. We had to relocate the sea turtles. That's what took the longest amount of time. It took almost six months relocating sea turtles. After they had relocated the sea turtle, we had to wait another 30 days while we put up these microphones all over the property, listening to see if there were turtles, because we were right by, right by the river, uh, to see if there were turtles anywhere around. We were limited on the trees that we could cut down. Fortunately, a lot of the trees for the lots had already been cut down. Um, we were only allowed to cut down what they called predator trees. Predator trees in Florida are trees that sit up higher than the other regular tree lines. I guess because predators sit in those like hawks and things like that. So we were able to cut down or trim the tops of predator trees. Uh, one of my favorite things for this particular property, this particular property is right across the street from the river, from the Banana River. They were not giving any more permits for docks on the river. I did not even consider a dock or anything else because we were on the other side of free, the, the road. It wasn't free, it's, it's the main drag, it's A1. Um, if you're familiar with Florida, you know A1. Mm -hmm. I found out afterwards from the city that we had a dock permit for the other side. We actually owned the patch of land Ex opposite of the exit and the entrance to the development that had a dock permit and there was actually a dock that had already crumbled and fallen. They were kind of iffy about what they were wanting us to build. I wanted to build something nice that was gonna be bigger so that 
residents could use it themselves. They couldn't, they couldn't use it as a marina. They couldn't dock their boat there, but they could hook their boat up. They could go into their own house, grab some stuff, throw it back into the boat. You know, that type of thing. There were some restaurants along the way. What we did was we split the cost with the city and the city uses it for their water taxi. So the, the water taxi stop, which is also a benefit for anybody in my developer, happened to be right there on that dock. We had a nicer dock that was able to go a little further out, was able to accommodate more boats and has more traffic on it and more maintenance. So the city takes care of the maintenance and split the cost to build it with the city of Melbourne. Uh, so one of my favorite projects, and again, I looked into it only because I was paying attention as I was driving up A1 back and forth. I was doing a project in Cocoa Beach, and if I didn't want to go up and down Cocoa Beach to Satellite Beach, I would go up and down A1. And I happened to notice this just by keeping my eyes out. And once you're investing in real estate, you're going to do that. You're going to notice properties that are sitting vacant. You're going to notice land that's sitting vacant. If you see a potential opportunity, write down GPS location if you have to, write down the address, whatever it is. If there's a sign with a for sale sign and a, and a, a phone number, take that information down. Call, find out what the deal is with the property. Find out how much it is for sale if there's a for sale sign. If you have a strategy in mind for that particular property, start putting it together, but work from whether or not I can get this property, whether it's available or not. Even if you can't afford the property, okay? As Bill said, you can put an option on that property. And once you have that option, you have the You're legal entitlement to that property. For as long as your option is, you can go out and you can find a developer, okay? Your option typically comes with a right to renew for X amount of years. So you don't have to worry about the developer saying, oh, well, he's only got the option for a year. Because if the developer is interested in it, he has to work with you, because you could renew it year two, year three, year four, year five, because you have that right to renew also. Option the property, usually it's not very much. Lock it in, start talking to developers, start getting something going on that particular property. All you have to do is legwork and brain work and just let the money come in. Well, and a lot of people get freaked out about it because I don't know developers don't know how to find them, but understand those people are looking for us. They are looking for more property to be able to build on. So when we can come to them with one lot, 10 lots, 50 lots, whatever it happens to be, you're a hero. You're going to get paid well, but they're like, Hey, this is terrific. And now you've got, somebody that you can go back to again and that you can go back to if, it, if the next property is not for them then you can also just ask them hey who do you know that might be interested in a piece of land like this and they're likely going to know somebody yeah developers hang out with other developers and a lot of times they're competing with the developers for projects so developer a may have got the project, but he knows B and C need projects. So he might tell you, you know what, I'm, I'm overextended at this point, I'm, I'm invested, but call Gary over at you know, XYZ company or call you know, Bob at ABC company and, and tell them what you got because that might be something that they're interested in. They will also know who's interested in different types of projects. They'll know who's interested in doing a strip mall, they'll know who's do, interested in doing multifamily residential, they'll know who's interested in doing uh, single family residential. So 
make those calls and build your network. Just like anything else, you want a network, build your network and, and keep that, I call it a Rolodex because I'm, I'm old school, but keep that virtual Rolodex, you know, always know who's in there, know who you can call. Uh, and it doesn't just have to be the market that you're in. This is the market I'm in, but if I'm in Cleveland and I see something that, that's great, I'll do the exact same thing. I'll find a project in Cleveland. What's that? We've done brownfields in Cleveland. We've done old properties where we've actually converted old factories into condos in Cleveland. Uh, there's always, always opportunity. Did you hear me or am I cracking up? Well, I can see you cracking me up. I mean, no, you were cracking up a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I think, I, about, I, but I think everybody's able to adjust of it. We're about, we're about done. And I think everybody understands. Uh, we'll have a better internet connection next time. I apologize for that. I am just in my new digs in uh, Palm Beach and we are waiting for new equipment. So uh, we're doing this. Well, welcome home. Sailor and, hotspot. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we so will, we'll, uh, we'll do better next time. Uh, Bill. We will. As always, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy your week and the rest of the, uh, the weekend. And uh, I will see you Monday. Monday, we're doing lifestyle shows, so don't forget to give me your pictures. Um, you got it. Bill's lifestyle, uh, his rich and famous lifestyle on Monday, and we'll do my lifestyle <laughs> on Wednesday. And just, just the I think you're first. reasons why you we first. enjoy. And I mean, you know why we like investing in real estate, but perks of investing in real estate that make yeah. our life happier and why we continue to do it because it keeps yeah. those wheels of happiness greased. So uh, we'll cover that on Monday and Wednesday of next week. And we'll see you then. The rest of you, happy investing. Take care. Very good. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.